by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. There was a guy walking along the riverbanks, and he looked on the other side, and he saw his friend. He said, hey, Joe, help me get across to the other side. Joe looked up and said, you are on the other side. <laughs> I just say that little stale joke to, to, <laughs> to say that it's all about your perspective, isn't it? And also to say that there's two sides of the river. There's different ways to look at everything, but in the end, you're going to end up on one side of the river or the other. Amen? And that's why I'm going to talk a little bit about a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you. There was this rich man. We'll call him Richie Rich. And there was this poor man. His name was Lazarus. Now, the rich man, it says he ate all the food he wanted. He dressed real nice. I'm, I guess he had the whole Israeli dream, so to speak, similar to the American dream, but they were over there. And uh, he, I'm sure he drove the finest camels and donkeys and had the nicest horses and everything. And he just, he had a gate outside his house. That tells you how big his house must have been. He had servants. He had everything that this world could offer. But outside the gate, Jesus said there was a guy named Lazarus. And he just sat out there just wishing he could have some crumbs from Richie Rich's table. Said he, he was so bad a shape that the dogs would come and lick his sores. Kind of graphic, huh? Now, I don't know. You tell me, was the rich man just such a smarter man, a better man than the poor man? How did they end up in the situation they were in? It's been my experience that there are many roads in this life. And you take one wrong road, it can lead to some other wrong roads. You know, maybe poor Lazarus here, maybe he had big intentions. We all have big intentions when we're kids, right? We're, gonna, we're not, hey, I'm going to grow up and sit outside Richie Rich's house no, we want to have our own stuff, you know. We want to do great things. But maybe he, somebody offered him drugs or alcohol or something. He didn't know it. It just snatched him right in and took him in a course he didn't want to go. And all these many years after bad decisions, maybe he ended up here. I don't know. Maybe he was born disabled or, or couldn't think right or something. You know, we're all dealt a different hand of cards in this life, right? Was the rich man rich because he was so smart? We don't know. Maybe his dad gave him all the money. You know? Maybe he did make some good decisions. But you can see that there are many perspectives in this world. But Jesus said, in the end, there's a river. Because he said that the rich man died and the poor man died. And there was this river separating the two, a gulf. That was fixed in between the two. And on one side was old Richie Rich. And he was in torment in the flames. Hmm. And he hollered across over to Lazarus who was on the other side in paradise with Abraham and all the righteous. 
He said, I'm in torment in these flames. Could you send Lazarus over and let him dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue so I can have a little relief? Somebody got to give me some relief out of here. You know what I'm saying? I got to have some relief. And Abraham says, well, you remember, Richie Rich, when you were on the earth, you had everything, but you didn't care about Lazarus then. But now you're in torment in the flames. And the poor man, he must have made a decision for God. He's over in paradise. He said, and besides, there's this, there's this river in between us. You're on one side, and we're on the other side, and there ain't no getting across after you die. The decision has already been made at that point. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but you read it for yourself in Luke chapter 16. And then Richie Rich said something that was so unlike him from what I gather. And kind of changed the story. Uh, for once in his life, he thought about somebody else. And he asked a question. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And we'll talk more about this story then. But there's two sides of the river. And we want to end up on the right one, right? Don't you want to end up on the right side when it's all said and done? Well, it's... it it. All the roads of your thinking and your perspective in life and your thought patterns that you develop lead you to either make the right decisions about Christ or the wrong decisions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul suggests a new way of seeing Jesus. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. You see, that there's a way that humans think without the Spirit of God. But it says, oh, how differently we know him now. What did he mean by that? Well, I imagine the disciples who walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they saw him do miracles, and they were scratching their head, who is this man? But they still saw him as a man. But what do you suppose changed that? I don't know, but I've never had anybody tell me, well, I'm going to die, but in three days I'm getting back up. <laughs> and then went and did it. Have you ever heard of that? Do you suppose it was the resurrection that, that made them see Jesus differently? Oh, how differently we see him now. We know who he is. We got our thoughts right about Jesus. He's just not some man that lived a long time ago in a fairy tale book that we don't believe. He is the risen Christ. He is God Almighty. He is the great I Am. We see Jesus for who He is. It says, and this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Woo! The old life is gone. And the new life has begun. Are you living the new life? Have you crossed over the river yet? Whew. A new perspective on Jesus changes everything. Are you listening to me? Oh, it looks better from on this side of the river. <laughs> I'm telling you, I understand things I didn't understand on the other side of the river. Well, we're going to talk just a moment about four major events that happened in human history. That changed everything. You ready? Well, obviously the first one is creation. I mean, before that, there was nothing to change. But creation changed everything. 
And in Genesis 1.26, God said, I think it was on the sixth day, he created everything for us. And then on the last day that he worked, he said, let us make human beings in our image like us. What did he mean like us? I thought there was one God. Who's he talking about, him and the angels? I don't think so. I think he's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, God is a triune God. Three distinct personalities, but one God. And in, do, in creating us like him, he made us three-part beings. Body, soul, and spirit. You have this old earth suit that helps you breathe down here on planet earth, you know, gets you around. But you have a soul. And that's something on the inside. That's your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality. That's what makes you uniquely you, is your soul. And then God gave us something that he didn't give to the animals or to the plants or to the clouds or any, in, to the, even to the stars or anything else in all creation. He gave us a spirit to be like him because God is spirit. You see, he, take, he took us from the dust of the earth and he breathed his spirit into us, the breath of life. And we became eternal like God as well, to live forever. He gave us dominion and authority. He put us in charge of the earth. You know, of course, he's in charge of all the universe, but he wanted us to share. We're growing up into our father's ways, so he gave us something to have dominion over. He made us relationship-oriented, we have the desire to be loved, don't you? And you have the potential to love others. He made us not just objects of his affection, though we are. He made us not just servants, though we should be. He made us sons and daughters. Crown jewels of the Father's wondrous love. You are the crown jewel of God's creation. Did you know that? Boy, they won't teach that in the colleges these days, will they? Oh, we just came from pond scum and monkeys. <laughs> I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail here, but I'm so tempted. <laughs> but you see, he wanted someone to love on, and he wanted to teach us to love. But if you think about love, love always requires a choice, right? If he'd have just made us without a choice to love him back, then it wouldn't have been love at all. It'd have been coercion. Isn't that the right word? Something like that. I just make these things up as I go. <laughs> coercion as a If we had to love him, no. So thus he put the tree in the garden. And you know what tree I'm talking about. But you know, God doesn't told him not to eat of that tree, didn't he? He warned him. God has always given us choices. He's, like I said, he's always laying out the hands. Like through Joshua one time, he said, Today I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. But then he gives us the answer to the test. He says, choose life. And he, he put the tree in the garden. He says, don't choose that tree. You got all the other trees. And that leads us to the second thing that changed all of human history. Sin. 
You, some of you are saying, this is too elementary, Pastor. Well, I'm building, I'm building, I'm working on something. We were created, and then we were tainted. Sin and became a destruction force in all of the world. In second, uh, Genesis, sec, the second chapter, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And guess what happened? That old Satan came in there and got them all twisted up, twisted the word of God like they do today, got them all confused about the right perspective in life, got them thinking it's good on the other side of the river over there. That's maybe, there, maybe on the other side of the river is where I need to be. Maybe I can be the God of my own life on the other side of the river. I don't need a God. And so they ate, and sin entered into mankind. But you say, the Bible says right here clearly that the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. But if any of you remember the story, they were kicked out of the garden, but they went on to live long lives. Is God a liar? Is there a mistake in the Bible? No, they died. It was their spirit that died. That part of them that was a connection to God died. That old earth suit was still alive for a, for a time. You know, this old earth suit has a shelf life. You have a battery, and, and we don't know how long yours is going to last if you don't mess it up in the meantime. But, but, but they lived physically, but they died spiritually. That day. And if you think about it, what is death if it's not separation from life? And God is life. And when they were kicked out of the garden, when they were kicked out of fellowship with God Almighty, they entered into a period of darkness. The Bible says they were dead in their sins and trespasses. There was no fellowship with God. Mm. It's not the place to be. Sin infected all of mankind. Adam and Eve had a son named Cain. Then they had another son named Abel, and they grew up. And Abel started getting jealous of Cain. Sin. Jealousy. Started hating on his brother. Sin. He, see, the bloodline of Adam is now tainted with sin, and now his own children are giving in to that sin. And God, what did he do? He came down and he reasoned with Cain. He said, sin's crouching at your door, Cain. Don't give in to it. But what did he do when he thought God wasn't looking? <laughs> he went and killed his brother Abel. The first man born of a woman was a murderer. The first family on earth, dysfunctional. Makes you feel better, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Look around. This is not the garden that God created for us. It's been tainted by sin. So we have creation was a major deal. Sin was certainly another major deal that tainted creation. And the third thing I want to talk about is the cross. Because at the cross, we got to reset. We got the option 
of being reset. It was where sin was paid in full, where Jesus says, it is finished. The sin debt is paid. And if you don't believe me, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Somewhere in there, it says that God's not up there holding our sin against us. Why? Because the debt is paid. It's where God himself stepped down into the world that he created and we received him not, but he loved us so much that he gave his own life to save his own creation. It's where he took the wrath, his own wrath against sin upon himself. If that's not mind-boggling, only love would do that. Greater love is no man than this than he lay down his life for his sin, for his friends. I've often thought, why couldn't God just overlook sin? I mean, why did he have to send his son to be tortured and crucified and go through all he went through? Why couldn't God just say, well, we're just going to overlook it this time? <laughs> Any of you ever been in court? And what, if, what if your daughter was raped and murdered and, and the murderer was sitting up there next to his lawyer, and the judge came in that day and said, I don't really feel like punishing nobody today. Swung his gavel down and says, you're released. We'll just overlook it. You'd be crying, hey, wait, wait a minute. I want justice. God is who he says he is, and he is a just God. He's merciful, but he is just, and you can believe it. You can take that to the bank. But he couldn't just overlook sin. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. His, the justice within him required that sin be paid for. He had already said that blood must be spilled. The wages of sin is death. And somebody had to die. And it was either going to be you or it was going to be him. I don't even know what made him think of that. Higher are his thoughts than ours, I can tell you that. But he came down and paid your debt. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. See, maybe you're sitting here today and this is just another Easter message for you. Oh, I've heard all this stuff before. The cross sounds foolish to you. Never made any You know, it never made any sense to me for a long time. I knew about it. I could tell you the story. But until I realized that it was my cross he was dying on, it never became the power of God in my life. Two perspectives. Either the cross is foolish to you, eh, not something worth investing my life into, or it is the very power of God. Of God. Two sides of the same river. I'm just here to tell you, friend, just as God would tell you himself, that cross is the only bridge across the river. That's the only way you're going to get to the other side. So we have the cross that gives us the possibility to change everything in our life. And the fourth thing and the last thing we'll talk about is the resurrection. Three days later, the resurrection changed everything. Because you know what? Once the sin debt has been paid, the prison doors swing wide open. There's nothing there to hold you as a prisoner anymore. You can just walk right on out. 
And if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he imputes his righteousness, his right standing with God unto you. He forgives your sins, and you can just walk out of that grave. You can be resurrected just like he was. There's nothing stopping you. Unless you stop at the door and say, I kind of like it in here. I want to stay on this side of the river. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? There's another Lazarus in the Bible I'll talk about briefly. He was the one that had Mary and Martha were his sisters. You know, it's two Lazarus in the Bible. And uh, he had died. And he was in the tomb. And in John eleven twenty five, Jesus is talking to Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I, you know, we know he was resurrected, but he is resurrection for us. He is life for us. He says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Look at your neighbor and say, do you believe this? Is this just a fairy tale or do you believe this? Is that just some fancy preaching, or do you believe this? Come on, Martha. You're troubled about many things. Do you believe this one most important thing? What do you think about the cross? What do you think about a man who could come back from the dead? Is he God or is he not? <laughs> you know, sometimes I preach down at the jail. We, we got a team that will be going there tonight. Every Sunday night we go down there. Sometimes I'm looking at those fellas in those orange jumpsuits who kind of faded to yellow after much use. <laughs> and I say, guys, imagine this. What if the governor of Mississippi came in himself and he had a pardon with your name written on it and he had stamped it with his governor's stamp or whatever it is and he says, here it is, brother. What are you going to do? Their eyes get all big and just the thought of it just gets them all excited because they're, they're on the other side of the river, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And they just think about that and they say, I'll snatch that part and I'll be out of here. And you know what? I said, ain't nobody going to stop you. Can't nobody stop you because you got a pardon from the governor. And I said, well, what if there was a pardon written for your sins in the blood of God Almighty himself? And he came in here tonight and he offered it to you. You can be forgiven. You can live with me in heaven forever. You can have eternal life back that sin stole from you. What you going to do? Uh, I don't believe all that stuff. It's there. I'm offering it to you right now. The pardon is there. Are you just going, I don't know. My perspective is this. I believe this. Oh, you're God? Oh, you got your own way of salvation? Congratulations. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe it, Martha? I also ask them prisoners sometimes, do you want to be a good person? They all raise their hand. Some of them murderers. Some of them rapists, child molesters. Oh, yeah, I want to be a good person. I ain't I seen the one yet. I don't know of a person that doesn't want to be a good person. 
But I know what they're feeling because I had, for 32 years of my life, I wanted to be a good person but could not be. Constantly disgusted at myself for not being a good person. What a, I can't do it. My willpower would last for a while. My intentions would last for a while. But I had no way to be a good person. Until I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And he sent his spirit into my heart. And now I have an option. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I still have the option to sin just like anybody. But I can get up in the morning and choose to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. I could get, now I have an option to overcome sin. The power of the spirit of God in my life will break the bonds of sin on me. The truth of God will set you free. He who is free is free indeed. My goodness. I'm going to ask you another question. If you died today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If you're thinking to yourself, if there was a hesitation at all, and you're thinking, well, I'm a good person. You're thinking to yourself, uh, well, I think so. I, I, I think I would. I hate to tell you this, but the Bible says you can know you have eternal life. If you ask me, am I going to heaven? There's no hesitation. I know because I have a relationship. God is inside of me. And if you're thinking that you can earn your way to heaven by being a good person, you put all your righteousness in your gas tank and you won't make it past Horn Lake on the way to heaven. Are you listening? And I won't either. I won't either. There's only one way. We're saved by grace. That's something you don't deserve. Through faith in the Lord Jesus. It is a gift of God. It's not of works unless you get up here thinking, boasting about, I earned heaven. No, you don't. No, you didn't. <laughs> You'll be up there like me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's the only way. He is the only way. What if we changed our perspective on Jesus like Paul said? What would happen? Romans 6, 5 says, Since we've been united in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. What does he mean, united in his death? Now, that's starting to scare me. Just meaning dying to your plans, dying to your sin. Paul says, I die daily so that I can live in the spirit. I can live for God. You know, when I said that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, it's much better to be dead to your sins and trespasses. That's the other side of the river. It's living from a place of a son and a daughter. What can a man in some, a pair of new orthopedic shoes say? I stand corrected. You can stand corrected today. I don't care what your, your, your squirrely thinking has been, if you've made it up or somebody told you the wrong thing. I'm telling you what the Word of God, I'm reading you the Word of God today. And you can just simply trust what God has to say. 
What if your perspective about yourself changed? What if you began to understand how much you were loved? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 in the New Living Translation says you're God's masterpiece. You're a one-of-a-kind, unique masterpiece in God's eyes. And here you've been comparing yourself to other people, running yourself down, letting people talk bad about you. Don't like because I'm short. Don't like because I'm tall. Don't like because I'm skinny. Don't like because I'm fat. Don't like my nose. Don't like my hair. Don't like nobody about <laughs> Sold to the... No. God created you with your own fingerprints, your own personality, You've got your own DNA that'll differentiate you from every other person on this planet full of 8 billion people. You can leave your fingerprints on a coffee mug in Russia, and they'll be coming looking for you. That's how unique you are and how special you are to God. What if your, your life, what if, what if you said, okay, now I know the way I've been thinking. He's got me thinking here, and I'm kind of scared. But what if I was to step outside the tomb? Like when, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, what happened? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, come on out of the tomb. And then he said, loose him. And then the other disciples went over there, and they began to take the, the stinking grave clothes off of him so that he could live and be free. And see, that's what God wants to do to you today. He wants to call you out of the darkness where you've been living into a new light. He wants to take the grave and the stinking thinking that you have and turn it around and let you be free. He wants you to truly live while you were created to live. That's God's plan for you all along that you may be free. And the other Lazarus, He's sitting there at the table with Abraham across the river. And old Richie Rich, he asked a question so unlike himself now, but how many of you know your perspective might change a little bit when you get to the end and you're on the wrong side of the river and you're in the flames? I just pray nobody goes there. He says, Abraham, I got five brothers. Would you send Lazarus to tell him not to come here? He's thinking about somebody else for the first time in his life. And Abraham says, they, they got the word of God and the prophets. They can learn the way to eternal life through that. And, and Richie Rich says, no, but Abraham, if somebody rises from the dead, then surely they will believe. Somebody has risen from the dead. Surely, you will believe. Surely. It's a matter of changing your perspective. Two ways to respond to what I've said to you today. You can just go on, live your life the way you want, on the wrong side of the river. You can have an emotional experience and give your heart to Jesus and then we won't see you no more. 
Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to give everything to my Creator. Elijah asked in 1 Kings 18, 21, How much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow Him. That's your decision today. I've made the case for Christ resurrected. That He is Lord God Almighty and He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you'll put your faith in Him, you can be saved and you can, you can step out of that darkness of that tomb. I know that tomb is kind of what you're used to if you're lost. For 32 years, I lived in that tomb. And I said, I was trying to tidy up the tomb. I was trying to make it livable. And pretty soon it was just darkness and I didn't have any hope left. And I was like, if this is all there is, I don't even want to live anymore. And then God said, God, come forth. And I got tired of the tomb and I stepped out into the light and life has entered into my existence every moment since then. And I know why I'm here and I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Is it easy? No, it's probably more scary outside here in the big world. But it's so worth it. And I know when I die, I know where I'm going. And I want you to know that. You can know that you have eternal life. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm, I'm asking you to pull the grave clothes off right now. I'm asking you to step over on the cross. Come across that river to eternal life. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we're going to do that right now. What I want you to do is I just want you to stand to your feet, all of you who are ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're, on, if you're out there and you're, and you're able, stand to your feet. If you're online. Everyone who wants to make a decision for Christ today. If you're unsure, then you, may, you need to make a decision today. We're praying for you. If you can't, you know, the reason I didn't say let's just all pray together today because God needs some people with courage to stand up in this generation in which we live. He doesn't need a bunch of wimpy Christians that say, oh, oh yeah, don't tell nobody but I'm a Christian. If you can't stand up here in a room full of people who are praying for you and, and have gone through the same thing in their life, then you're not going to stand up out there. Is there the first brave one? It usually takes somebody to break the ice. Amen. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. The ice has been broken. Jump into the water. Jump into the river. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Brave, brave, brave people. Who else? Who else? Before we pray, this will be the first day of the rest of your life. The stone has been rolled away. The stone has been rolled away. Are you hearing me? You can see. Take a step and stand up, and you can be. We have three here in the sanctuary. Is there any more? Anybody else want to take a brave step for Christ and proclaim Him as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. And if you're there and you, you've already made that journey across the river, pray with them as a church. Let's help them. Say, God, I believe that Jesus 
died on my cross. He paid for my sin, and then you resurrected him. Father, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Show me the plan for my life. Fill me with your spirit. Lead and guide me to fulfill my purpose. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.